welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. Now, let's jump into the episode. This episode is brought to you by Coda Payments. Free-to-play game monetization can be a weary endeavor for game developers, especially for publishers of multiple titles. I'm here with Neil Davidson, executive chairman of Coda Payments. Neil, why should games teams look to Coda Payments to solve their payments needs? Last year, the two major app stores collected more than $30 billion in fees from mobile game developers. Coda helps developers collect some of their revenues outside the app stores, keeping more of the income they generate for themselves. We offer a set of solutions that allow developers to collect payments on the web, either on a website that they operate or on one that we do. Either way, players can choose from a range of more than 300 payment methods in 64 territories. We help some of the biggest mobile game developers in the world generate more net revenue, and we'd love to help your listeners do the same. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing, Neil. And if you, our listener, want to see how Coda Payments can help solve your monetization needs, head to codapayments.com or check out the details in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the weekly roundtable. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Novik Roundtable. I'm your host, Devin Becker, and I'm, of course, joined by great panelists, as always. On this time, we've got Manu, co-founder of Novik, who I'm sure you've seen plenty of times. Also, Tammy uh, Levy, chief games officer, still best title, at Captain.tv. And we've got David Kay, a president of Snapshot Games and Angel Investor. Always nice to have around. Guardian Angel Investor, hopefully. How are you guys doing today? Doing good. Yeah. Yep, doing great. Good, good. Everyone ready, hyped. ready to go. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. We've got, uh, we've got a lot of topics to cover today. Um, a lot of like small things and maybe some big things that we'll dig into. Uh, just a lot of stuff with, uh, just starting with some simple stuff around, uh, Q1 earnings results, uh, for huge games, uh, some game growth in the Mena region, uh, and then into Supercell with their kind of double beta release they've gone out with, uh, EA interestingly doing NFTs with Nike. Uh, we've got some stuff with the SEC in Web3 that should be fun to dig into. And then, of course, everyone's uh, topic du jour lately, Apple and their Apple Vision Pro headset. So some fun stuff going on there. Uh, why don't we just uh, dig right into what's going on with the Q1 results for huge with many use games? Yep. Uh, so yeah, huge games with uh, huge headlines, essentially, <laughs> with these results. So um, I mean, I, I think I saw the article kind of floating around on Pocket Gamer, and um, the headline basically was uh, the highest uh, the highest EBITDA uh, margin ever that they have seen. So of course, it got me a little bit curious to you know, okay, uh, you know what the hell happened in that company because I've looked into huge before, and you know, uh, primarily a, a casino slots uh, portfolio, and you know, given today's uh, uh, today's uh, IDFA climate, you know, a casino sl- slot portfolio returning the highest EBITDA margins uh, in their history <laughs> got me curious. So, um, but yeah, basically, I, I think the story is like relatively simple. Um, I mean, basically, you know, uh, their revenues were down, but 
the reason that their EBITDA margin was so high was uh, because they just cut back on a lot of UA spend. So, you know, it just increased uh, profitability at the end. And <clears throat> so, I mean, yeah, it was basically a PR headline, but, uh, you know, for uh, for a portfolio that is kind of heavily dependent on, you know, casino titles and such, like cutting back on UA spend is, uh, is a pretty big, like, you know, red flag <laughs> in some ways. Um, but yeah, just to kind of maybe go over the numbers uh, very quickly, um, their overall revenue was down about 14.5%. Uh, you know, uh, and this is in Q1. So uh, it, it landed up at about uh, 50, 51 million over there. That was mostly driven by, you know, their core franchise revenues uh, being down by 8% and also the sunsetting of one game called uh, Traffic Puzzle, uh, which resulted in, you know, this 14.5% revenue drop. Um, and yeah, in terms of spending, they... You know, they just cut down their UA spend quite significantly because, I mean, they were very transparent about, you know, the UA climate being quite hard and um, and they're just trying to find their footing, essentially. Like, you know, how do they um, how do they do UA in this new world? And they don't want to be, you know, uh, throwing good money after bad in a way uh, and, you know, just try to, like, take their time to figure it out. At the end of the day, it's still a pretty healthy company in terms of cash balance. You know, they're regularly, uh, you know, quarter over quarter, increasing their cash balance slowly. So, you know, they have like that flexibility to experiment and, you know, take their time on the UA side of things. Um, but yeah, that was the whole cutting back of UA spend on a dropping revenue uh, um, uh, trajectory was, you know, kind of the key reason why the EBITDA was so crazily uh, up. Um, I guess um, while thinking about this, you know, uh, I've kind of like told this story multiple times across earnings. I started to feel like like even Platika has like a similar story to some extent. I mean, not the record the EBITDA margins, but, you know, aging portfolio, cutting back on UA spend and a lot of other mobile like public mobile gaming companies are also like in a similar uh, place. And I, I was just wondering, like, you know, a question to you guys. Um, Everyone is like quite worried about, you know, the marketing uh, environment right now and how they should like continue to do marketing into the future. But I see less companies actually talking about how they should be maybe building like more focus on the product side. How should be how should they be thinking about products actually in the future? And because I mean, until now, you know, most games have been just built with you know that like everyone kind of knew that they had ua as a lever to juice and then most games would just be like you know co copies of like other successful games with like plus one you know innovations uh, on those and like some more live op juicing but it mostly then came down to ua strategy in terms of who's able to target better who's able to apply the fake ads uh, strategies better uh, you know and uh, you know essentially kind of get their users like that but when when that growth cleaver has gone um, i guess the question is like should people also more studios be talking about how to build their games uh, differently and um, so yeah, all right i'm going to yeah. i could push back a little on on this um mm -hmm. not push back exactly but offer some color perhaps because i think it's quite easy to 
there's a lot of companies pushing a sort of a narrative of, uh, you know, the UA environment is impossible and blah, blah and so on and so on. But I, I, I know a number of founders um, who are actually having a lot of success in the current user acquisition environment. And I think like one of the fun things about the, the games in this is not unique to the games industry, but one of the nice things about this, this ecosystem is as soon as like something becomes uh, kind of part of the received wisdom, right. That, that actually has, it can start to create opportunity for people who, um, for, for people who who sort of take the opposite tack, because I mean, I mean, UA particularly, right? Okay, if if all these big companies are switching off UA, what what impact is that going to have? Well, it's going to reduce demand and it's going to create pockets of opportunity for other developers. So, like, I I know a couple of developers, particularly right now, who are maybe they're not the same scale, but they are scaling very successfully um, in their niches. And maybe the fact that some of these larger companies that were previously able to throw you know huge amounts of money at things uh, scaling back is uh, is you know is actually creating that opportunity. I mean, is that due to the niches as well? Like, obviously, the the more competitive the particular genre, things like that, the particular audience, that's obviously going to create high demand, even with people scaling back, right? But situations where it's like, hey, this niche is like relatively untapped, or people weren't spending tons on UA in this particular genre. I mean, do you mm-hmm. think that's some of it, David, or is it because you said you've seen others successfully scaling? Is that in in very competitive? genres or is that just like them being a I mean, the, one, the ones I'm, the ones i'm thinking of in, in, without talking without naming names i mean one of the genres is is word games the other one is in uh, the puzzle category i suppose broadly i think i know yeah, the that's... one you're talking about in the word games based on linkedin yeah, I actually want to bring light to another piece on the on the earnings uh, report here because I I do agree with with David in that um, there's kind of like a very polarizing piece right now in terms of user acquisition of, hey, it's really hard versus, hey, let's figure this out and find the the pockets of, of opportunity. And you kind of start seeing a little bit of huge games teasing the, hey, we want to find the new opportunity, but with new games, which I found a little bit, like I found interesting how they were positioning it, uh, thinking about multiplayer, multi-platform, and they tease this piece of uh, building pods for prototype, rapid prototyping and releasing games. So kind of almost like placing it uh, in the Supercell model. And I think that they did that very intentionally so that they can kill games and don't, don't you know, get any frowns. And the first kind of the first piece of it seemed, you know, interesting to me. And I was intrigued by by what they were talking about in terms of, trying just to understand kind of a, a different market, it does move them con- completely into a different niche from what they've done because they've found success in social casino. So, you know, there's also kind of this question that, you know, a lot of teams and game studios, there's this one side of like conventionalism of stick to what you know and refine what you know, and they're kind of going against that. And then there's the other piece of, hey, try to diversify. And that that's what they're they're trying to do here. Um, but what I found 
interesting as well. It's like that that seemed like very focused. But what found I found kind of weird was that they had this piece where they threw all the keywords at their earnings uh, report with uh, building AI across, like leveraging AI across the organization, uh, exploring M&A in, in partnerships, um, new business yeah. models with Web3 space. Uh, so it it felt like very focused. And then right after that, completely out of focus. Uh, and I think that speaks to a little bit of it's some teams are are struggling to find that focus and where to find that opportunity in today's market. Yeah. I mean, just for the record, I, I think like huge game should it's probably like a really good acquisition target <laughs> at this point. <laughs> uh, it really feels like in the same um, bucket as 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 a review uh, right now but um but just kind of going back to my point about you know this um you know like should should maybe companies think about uh, products differently i agree with what you said david that you know yes there are like pockets kind of create pockets of opportunity created when you know the bigger companies are not in the race anymore in a way but it's also it all, that also feels like you know maybe the some of the short term pockets that yes if you can exploit it okay great but like more long term like what's the what's the approach over here and you know like huge games taking their example again but they mentioned like one of the strategies that they're applying is you know uh, instead of uh, focusing on the more performance marketing strategy going more in the brand marketing route but i mean like creating creating brands from a port- established portfolio and from games that were built with keeping UA in mind is a very, very, like, it's a hard hill to climb. It's sometimes, I mean, mostly probably almost impossible. Um, then, you know, I mean, they could maybe like go the personalization route and I'm just going through like some inorganic uh, growth methods. So they could go the personalization route uh, in terms of, you know, personalizing the game experience itself, but that's also expensive to build. They can go the exploiting SK ad network route, but, you know, um, that's, uh, it's kind of proven to be a slightly low ROI space. And I mean, the whole point of SK ad network is not to kind of allow the old UA world to exist. Uh, or they can even go like the cheap tricks route, but that's all like, you know, the fake ads and whatnot, but that's like all short term strategies. So it really feels like um, the pressure is on like the more organic growth side of things, you know, for for uh, for mobile studios, which would be, you know, first of all, like creating a fun game experience or creating, you know, uh, going back to, you know, the more 2010, 2013 wisdom of, you know, viral loops and such uh, during the Facebook uh, era. Um, And I was really thinking about like, you know, um, I think it was Supercell's uh, CEO who said in his blog post that, Innovation in, uh, in innovation in game design is probably going to be one of the biggest problems that you know uh, the free to play space will see going into the next ten years. And um, maybe he said it for different reasons, but like when I try to think about this problem from that angle, it really started to ring true even for me because like I, I don't know if like games can continue to just like copy each other and you know then I mean they can't apply the UA tactics anymore that they had and like. It plus one iterations is no more enough, you know, and um, even the word game, the word game studio that uh, David is referring to, I mean, their game 
it is a drop of innovation in the word game space, which maybe is contributing to their scaling abilities uh, at, at that point. So, but yeah, uh, yeah, curious. Yeah, I mean, what do you guys think? Like, do you, do you yeah, know, like the news like newsflash, yeah. newsflash, like it really helps if you can make good creative games that bring something different to the table. Yeah. <laughs> like this is only this is only news in like mobile. Like this, this is yeah. not something, you know, go, yeah. hop over to Steam. There's like a thousand games with like novel mechanics and interested, doing interesting stuff, like get released every day almost. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, God forbid we have to do something a little different, create something new. To be fair, Valve actually puts a lot of effort into discoverability, whereas Apple could seem to care less. And, and they absolutely, you're, abso- you you're absolutely right. Pay for their advertising, right? So I, yeah. I feel like there's also like one of the things we're not really kind of touching on a lot is just kind of the 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 other environmental stuff going on that isn't directly related in terms of like yes. both like easy money drying up, meaning like it's it's less smart now margin wise and what, you know, who was saying in terms of just throwing money at the problem and said, now, as David's saying, you, you actually, I don't know, maybe you have to think about making a good game or making your creatives better or whatever it is to make it so that it's more worth your money yes. rather than just being like, ah, it's easy money. Let's just, let's just hit the scale lever and go it over. Plus we've got the backlash from COVID going back the other way. Right. Yeah. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. It's a fair point. The environment and the incentives are going to dictate the behavior of everyone in the market. And mobile, the story of mobile for the last, you know, decade plus has been just massive, massive user growth. And so you're going to take the most, the most efficient route to that, which is, okay, we don't need to innovate that much because there are all these tailwinds. And, uh, and there's an environment where we can sort of scale quite effectively and, and the whole thing works really, really well. Um, and you're right. Also, a big difference between Steam and the App Store is that Steam does uh, a relatively good job of pushing discoverability even for newer developers, whereas Apple has basically taken a hatchet to both the paid and organic uh, discovery in their ecosystem. And uh, that's why a lot of people are, in, are having a hard time. Well, hopefully this this all just results in pressure to make better stuff, right? Like let's let's hope this is actually a great thing for the industry. Just are, are copying games for... from uh, Steam <laughs> on mobile? Yeah, you know maybe we'll see that trend, right? We saw we did see a trend the other way for a while too, where I, I think I saw a lot of games trying to come over from mobile to Steam, like trying to do the opposite, right? Like trying to apply that, and obviously that audience tends to reject a lot of that. Uh, yeah. So, I don't know. It's, I actually, it's, it's, I actually it's, think. I mean, like, just this is like super speculation, but I actually think Habi is doing that strategy. Just looking at, uh, so the guys behind Acharo. Uh, I mean, just looking at like innovative mechanics on the Steam side, and then creating uh, mobile free-to-play versions of it uh, on the mobile side. It happened with Acharo, like based on Binding of Isaac. It happened with Survivor.io, based on Vampire Survivors, and I think like one of their more recent games is also. A copy of some steam, like some steam hit. <laughs> so I, it, nothing wrong with that if yeah. it, if it you know it's just yeah. helping cross genres or I mean across platforms. Yeah, yeah. and I, uh, I wouldn't I, fold them. I wouldn't necessarily fold them yeah, for, I, for I, doing I, that because <laughs> so there's 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 also so there's also I'm with okay, David. There's no I'm with David. There. I, just based on <laughs> no, I mean seriously, like <laughs> like I, I I do take I do I mean this has been going on for like more or less the entire history of the App Store. Like there's a lot of very high profile cases of this going on. You know, 2048 was a big one. Um, yeah, yeah. It was also what was that game that ripped off Spry Fox's game? You know what I'm talking right, about? Right. I think it was from like yep. six waves or something like that. They they. 
copied the yeah. The, I mean, the merge it, stuff. This is became its, it's, it's yeah, why like a lot of triple bears are yeah yeah. Triple Town. Triple Town. Triple Town. Yeah. The Kindle game of all things, actually. Yeah, nobody uh, nobody so, yeah. gives credit to, I think, Spryfox for kind of innovating that merge mechanic. So, yeah, you're Poor right. guys. They, they were yeah, definitely sorry, about pushing yeah. new genres and then getting ripped off and doing yeah. so. But yeah, sorry, Tammy, you're, you're going to say something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I was just going to say, it's like, I, I don't fault them for that. And uh, I think that there's, it's actually two very different, I feel like two very different skills that, some teams have both skills, but not every team has both skills of finding a fo- a fun uh, gameplay, like moment to moment core gameplay mechanic that can really engage players. Uh, building a meta game on top of it that can monetize, like those two, like not every team has both, and that's where we see kind of these these examples of a team can innovate on a super fun, interesting mechanic, but they don't find kind of like this huge success. Then another team grabs that mechanic, puts a loop on top of it. Uh, Of course they do, they they do it with quality and whatnot, but um, they get that out there and it does much better than the original game without even like innovating on the mechanics. Yeah. And that's, that's the marketing engine at work, right? That's, you don't have to out innovate. You just have to like, do your research and out out compete on the marketing level. Outspend there, <clears throat> yeah. but at least you know, hey, the, the, if the pressure is on for for doing a better job with with UA, then you know all the better for them to actually have to put a little more effort into it. I would think, right? Like it's just a more competitive industry, but not a dead one, right? Like in terms of you could, as David points out, you could still acquire users. You just have to put more effort into it and stop just relying on like the kind of easy approach. Uh, so yeah, like I said, maybe this will be good for the industry as a whole. I hope. I think I mean, so. Should, like, should look at the bright yeah. side of it here. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm like really like more optimistic than pessimistic. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, creating fun game concepts is, I mean, it is the hardest thing to do. So, uh, but yeah, that's fine. We'll have AI do it for us, right? We'll just have it start prototyping games, <laughs> just in the background constantly, and then it'll have to have AI testing the games for you too, as well, to let you know they're good. <laughs> Probably AI playing it, also AI spending everything. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But uh, speaking of a region that is actually growing uh, and not necessarily struggling with user acquisition the same way is uh, the, the Meta region, uh, of course, the Middle East and, and I believe what North Africa is what the end stands for there? Yep. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, uh, there was a uh, report from the Dubai Multi-Commodity Center released uh, kind of just talking about where the regions at in terms of the consumer side and the gaming, like consumer side and gamer side, because uh, we've talked about a lot about and we've kind of been keeping an eye on the the development side, just you know, with Scopely getting scooped up by Savvy Games, which is in the region in Dubai. Uh, but yeah, so looking at the consumer side, they forecasted uh, the region reaching six billion dollars by 2027 and uh this really is focused on you know the the big share of it is focused on three countries uh saudi arabia being a huge one the united arab emirates emirates and uh egypt um and also in terms of of gamers and just you know the consumer side growth not only the revenue growth uh, they've forecasted somewhere around 85 million players, gamers in 2025. 
so the number itself, six billion, it, it's a big number, but it's when you look at the global gaming industry, it's you know not that impressive. <laughs> um, but what it is impressive is the rate of growth, which is kind of forecasted at, at double from 2021. And that's especially compared with the global growth uh, forecasted. So whether the you know exact numbers and data forecasted is is accurate, I, I didn't get a chance to dig into specifically you know the data sources for how they're they're forecasting this. But I, I do think it is worth keeping an eye on this growth because especially and specifically Saudi Arabia has kind of like this big strategy. They're calling it Vision 2030 to diversify outside of oil as kind of their <laughs> their thing. Uh, and in general, they just want, you know, a bigger piece of everything. And that includes gaming. So they want a bigger piece of the gaming pie, they want to become a global gaming hub, and this comes from both the consumer side and the development side. Um, and I think that if anyone can wield this into existence, you know, when when there's countries or or you know strategies like these uh, published or or released, there's skepticism around, you know, can you can you actually make it happen? Because uh, you have to have to have a coherent strategy. Uh, the benefit that that Saudi Arabia has is that they have tons of money. They have like you know deep pockets to invest in building game studios, creating local content, and also betting big on kind of all fronts from you know esports festivals, like all all the things. So I think that that's that's kind of very interesting, and I think the what really caught my attention as I was kind of reading through a lot of the things that are happening, uh, I think what exp- exemplifies this, you know, approach of hitting it from all angles is the event that they're putting up in June um, called the Dubai Esports and Game Festival, where they're calling it a gaming extravaganza and they're really going all out. Like it really is an extravaganza. They have esports tournaments they have a game expo very much in the vein of um packs they have pocket gamer coming over and you know organizing their game expo summit they have a festival called play beyond very much in the vein of dreamhack and even uh other events like a minecraft educational challenge for um you know, I think it's like middle schoolers. Uh, so a competition. So they're hitting all age, all age groups, all angles, developers, consumers, esports, uh, players, fans, like it's just everything. Um, so it's it's a very interesting, you know, strategy. They're just throwing and going after everything. Uh, but yeah. of course, you know, <laughs> the strategy is spent. Yeah, they're, go- they're <laughs> like, I want everything. <laughs> Let me throw money. Yeah. User acquisition, uh, but, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we all wish we had like deep pockets like that, right? Uh, that would solve the, the acquisition problem that we're talking about. Um, but yeah, I think what's interesting too is, every, you know, every announcement that they make has met is met with skepticism especially, you know, given Saudi Arabia's track record when it comes to human rights in general. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, 
it evolves over over time. But I don't know if you guys have had a chance to, you know, follow a lot of, of movement there and, you know, whether it's from like developer side or or the consumer side and, and have any additional thoughts and on what's happening in the region. Yeah, I think in like a previous podcast, I covered the Savvy Gaming, uh, Savvy Games Group uh, because, um, yeah, it was like the new name on the scene and, you know, uh, and they came with so much of money and everything. And of course, it like fucked up a lot of years. Um, and I think during that time, um, during that podcast, I also just kind of broke down, okay, you know, there's this uh, the public investment fund that's behind this entire initiative, which, you know, connects back to the crown prince and all the oil money and things like that. Um, and I think they're like the amount of money that they have, I think the stat I shared in that podcast, uh, just remembering, but I think it was like, it was equivalent to like 10 or 15 A16 Zs or something like that. It's like really, really a lot of money that, you know, they are, um, uh, that they have to invest uh, in specifically uh, in games. Um but yeah, I, I also don't know like how much I would like trust that, you know, that that report, like if it was from some Dubai association, because I mean, <laughs> they're basically, you know, uh, peddling their own agenda a little bit, but slightly um, biased. Yeah, slightly biased. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, the, and the, I mean, the whole uh, esports stuff, I mean, they're basically isn't uh, isn't esl uh, now esl and the whole face esl it and face it were both yep, bought yep. by that yeah. yeah 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 so, so they yeah they have facelift they have esl and esl had merged with um dream hack so basically yep. like all the big names yeah yeah so kind of putting that whole acquisition to use i guess with this uh, esports ex- extravaganza um but but yeah i mean i guess the the thing that like maybe just uh I don't know. The thing I'm like just skeptical about is just the, you know, potential size of this market more from a consumer standpoint, because it's not like the games did not exist for this market before, right? From a mobile standpoint and all those games did exist. There were enough of spending opportunities for it and such. So, I mean, um, I mean, unless they're like paying people to play games i, I don't <laughs> I, I, would, I wouldn't put that beyond with their strategy that that, that form of user acquisition right where it's it's an incentivized play right we, we saw yeah, that reverse three, reverse example. reverse user acquisition yeah non-crypto play to earn yeah yeah these like the like those uh i don't know i think in some countries there were these during covid some countries gave out these uh the checks right for for the spending so now there are like some gaming checks coming out from that region but um but yeah, uh, unless like, the, I don't know, like if the games existed before, no one was really spending at that point. So from a consumer uh, spending standpoint, like what's what's really changed? I mean, I guess like some of the, some of, you know, building the gaming culture, I guess is, you know, maybe what they're trying to do with all this spending. And maybe over the long term, it really changes the trajectory of the market, but it feels like a very slow moving you know, growth grind kind of a thing. Well, I have a question around that then yeah. for, for you guys in terms of, is there something that they're unlocking here as well? Like, I mean, we're talking about the money side of things, but was there some environmental thing that they were able to take advantage of, like pent up demand or like more games starting to have servers in that region, for example, or more developers? Like, for example, I know it's not part of MENA, like, except for tangentially, but like I've seen, you know, it seems like a lot more developers in Turkey. Uh, like, is there other factors that that maybe are being unlocked by this as opposed to just buying growth? 
from from you know from what I can tell, um, I think it, it I would take a bet that it's more on what uh, Manu is, is touching on, which is creating a gaming culture that didn't exist before. So not necessarily uh, unlocking, you know. It kind of is unlocking the 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 gaming like the consumer space by creating and bringing awareness about like gaming, gaming as an industry. I mean, you see them doing that with sports, with you know all sorts of of um, cultural entertainment, basically. So I think that it's it's probably more of uh, almost kind of spotlighting to you know their consumers where to spend their money in in a way and like where should they be kind of focusing uh but yeah i think i think what's going to be more interesting i don't know that there's a lot of growth there uh from the consumer side outside of you know kind of just reaching their full potential what will be interesting to me is definitely the the um developer side like they're trying to really bring in that revenue and grow that revenue and and own you know part of the profits of of gaming and the global market and i think that 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 will definitely shape um you know the industry in some way because they already have hands in so many big companies like they've they've invested in nintendo in ea in Take two, like they're they're going at it. Well, good. Well, hopefully it leads to innovation and not just spending that on easy money user acquisition, right? So we don't end up with just a repeat of the typical mobile industry. But uh, in terms of growth in, in regions and things like that and, and kind of spreading out, uh, Supercell and their, their sort of dual beta strategy that they've been going with recently has been interesting. Uh, yeah, so... Um, I don't know if you guys had a chance to play Supercell's latest betas. So uh, kind of just as a opener here, uh, they have uh, three games in testing. Clash Mini, that is live in uh, their regular kind of soft launch markets. Uh, But additional to that, they have two games that they're opening on limited betas. One being uh, Squad Busters and the other one being Flood Rush. So a, a brief kind of what these games are about, um, just so we can we can talk a lot about them a little bit more. But they're both. What's very interesting is that they're both uh, very similar in terms of you know the type of game of the genre, the mechanics, like what they would be uh, going after. They're both um, in this battle royale space. Uh, kind of simplified battle royale where you know you're playing async PvP with a bunch of players in the same arena or or world. Uh, you're you know navigating this this world, finding whether uh, enemies or other players to battle or uh, you know chests and rewards to build your party during the match to f- uh, reach a final stage. So kind of they both follow that that general arc um and they launched you know back to back they did a week of closed beta for squad busters and the day that they finished the next day they got uh flood rush out the door as well 
um, what's interesting to me is that, uh, yeah, they're back to back, but it it kind of wrecks my brain a little bit because uh, you could say, hey, they're trying to compare, you know, compare, put put them next to each other, compare how they perform. And kill one because it's super it's about royale, about royale, I came, I came right? to the same thought. Like I came to the same conclusion. Then I actually come. I, I thought they were more like trying to casualize the MOBA space more than the battle royale. But uh, but yeah, I, I, yeah, you go. I'll, I can I can uh, come back to that later. Yeah, yeah. I'll just I'll just say like what's puzzling about about this whole thing to me is that um, it feels intentional. But then when you start thinking about it, it feels less intentional <laughs> in some ways. Uh, because if you were going to put them uh, against each other, you would effectively need to have similar conditions. So you would need to, uh, you know, Squad Busters is a closed beta, Flood Rush, they did an open, you know, you can just go and during that time frame, play it. Um, for Squad Busters, you had to get in the the allow list for the closed beta. Um, they did completely different regions for both games. So Squad Busters, they went with Canada, Mexico, and Spain. Uh, with Flood Rush, they went with Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, and I think UK. So those we know that those regions all behave very different. Um, and you know, even kind of going into a little bit more kind of nitty-gritty points, Squad Busters is in their second beta so it's a little bit it's been in development longer and it's more baked than flood rush so that's a part that that was puzzling to me about kind of this situation that that we're seeing with uh supercell so yeah manu you, you had thoughts about this this uh supercell strategy yeah i mean i i guess like for me the 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 competitive test was um i was more thinking about it from the product side of it because it almost felt to me like um like flood rush is yeah basically i mean it's slightly different in terms of squad busters gameplay but pretty close i would say but it's basically like squad busters without all the supercell uh, you know the the supercell uh, ip characters in it and without the um the roguelike card mechanic in it and um and and then that's that's flood rush. So like it it really yeah, felt it's, like it's simpler and and even like they yeah. go with like uh, portrait versus landscape, right? So yeah, yeah. Uh, flood rush is portrait, so you could potentially like play single hand versus squad busters, which is landscape. Yeah, and like the one thing that added like gameplay depth or strategic depth to squad busters was the roguelike card mechanic. And now you if you remove it from the gameplay, I mean. I just didn't see the depth in, you know, Flood Rush itself. Like, I, I mean, you you go in with like some random character, and you know, you have your three cards, you collect your mana, and then you use the three cards. And I didn't really, I watched like I didn't get to play myself, but I just watched like multiple streamers play it, and I really did not see any kind of strategic depth. And if you like kind of compare it to the strategic depth of gameplay in a Clash Royale, I mean, it's nowhere close like nowhere close <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know like it it started to feel to me like are they testing like is is it a test between products in some way or i don't know it, this one also just did not feel like you know 
that supercell level game at the end of it but no it seemed like instead of an a b test it's like a a c e test versus a a d f test like where they're just like we'll have one thing in common between (laughs) these two things and then everything else will be different the launch strategy will be different. The characters <laughs> will be different. The like a lot of the gameplay play mechanics will be different, and then the IP will be completely different and, and opposite. So, so we're like, probably this wrong one's about all combined. Test, I guess. <laughs> they're just testing everything at once, right? They're like, let's test every aspect of this all at the exact same time. Right, yeah. No controls, sure nothing. Smarter than that, but yeah. <laughs> well, sure. it, that, that's wrong. what happened essentially, yeah. right? Like new yeah, IP yeah. versus nothing. That's like something that's entirely combined IP, and it's like. And, and yeah, then yeah. totally different launch strategies, but it's like also different than the normal launch strategy of like the super long uh, soft launch that I feel like their games like Clash Mini and, and stuff like that kind of get stuck in that almost soft launch hell. So it almost just seems like this whole thing is them trying to like, let's get out of the rut we're in and just try a couple crazy things at the same time and see what seems to work. I mean, it's it's going to get like them attention that, that either just, way, I guess. It just but. doesn't fit with like how they, how it works inside Supercell or right. at least like what I know based on what, has been shared at GDC talks or what has been shared through articles, which is the games need to go through internal, uh, like internal team approvals. And then the game team also needs to like thumbs up it before it gets into any beta or soft launch. Like it's a little bit surprising to me that inter- like the, like super salients are approving this stuff. Like how, how is it getting out there? <laughs> you know, it, it, I don't know. It's, that just feels they, awesome. they've murdered some so many games some of their children are just trying to escape at this point <laughs> yeah they're just like let them through let them through <laughs> no but yeah, yeah. I, I i agree like it does feel like flood rush uh and i was watching some some streams as well for for both uh it feels like super half-baked um which is you know it might it might be trying to test the strategy of testing something half-baked um who who knows we'll see we'll find out soon enough because they will kill one or two games or three games that are in, in testing right now. Yeah. I have to say, someone who did, I did actually play quite a bit of Flood Rush rather than just kind of watch mm-hmm. it, just because like I wanted to get the kind of experience. While I, I would agree on the depth issue, like there definitely is lacking depth, I do think it actually was decently engaging to play, uh, probably not to watch. And like I would kind of push back that Clash Royale seems deep now. But I would say, like, when it first came out, it probably didn't have near that feeling of depth. It, it felt like you just drop Whoa, guys down dude, and just watch no them go way. at each other. Like, no, I, no, I mean, no, that's, that's that's my that's impression that. of it. But, uh, like, I obviously, like, there, there's there's a little bit of depth to Flood Rush in terms of counterplay similar yeah. to Clash uh, Rail in terms of, like, they actually tell you, like, they encourage you, like, at least on their website, to, like, hold back on the mana and, like, actually try and play some counterplay. But I will agree that, like, it is definitely not near the depth it needs to be yeah um but i do think there was I, if you just watched it, i think it's a little underwhelming compared to trying it but i do think like obviously uh squad busters is a little harder to get access to so it could be a little harder to like test that one to compare it but uh yeah. i i don't know i i uh, i don't know if it's either of these will live to be honest like at the end of the day right like because it, i don't know what, 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 do you guys, what do you guys uh what, what do you guys uh bet in terms of uh how many how many kills and how many will stay alive out of those three? Is it like zero to three live uh, live versus kill or uh, or any other number? <laughs> so I I uh, played Clash Mini quite a bit as well in the earlier stages of mm-hmm. the of the soft launch, and I think they've done a good job like improving it over time. And it also lacked the depth because everything single one of these is like let's simplify, and that mm-hmm. that creates depth problems. 
But I do think that one has a good chance of living, assuming they don't prematurely kill it, especially after the stories came out about Brawl Stars and the way that almost got killed and Frank kind of saved it and that mm. sort of thing. So I think that one, yeah. The other two, I don't know, man. Like maybe maybe sacrifices to the Clash mini altar if uh, if they just need to okay. go that way. So one, one, one to two. What, what, what about you, Tammy? I think one survives out of mm. out of the three at most one one at most um and i would say i would go probably higher i, I don't i don't know um think clash mini i'm i'm with devin on on this i think that it it has it has a lot more to work with i feel in terms of also how supercell understands adding depth to games. Mm. I, I David, I you play... <laughs> I'm going with zero to three. Like all three are going to die. <laughs> like so. Oh, all three are going <laughs> to the chopping block. I think so. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I just don't see it happening. But I mean, yeah, you're, you get, if there's a chance of something surviving, maybe it is Clash Mini and, you know, given the history with Brawl Stars and how they were able to turn that thing around, maybe there's a path, turnaround path for Clash Mini, but I'm still leaning towards zero to three. You're going to go with all three, David, just to be the total contrarian here? (laughs) I mean, I'll I'll be honest, I haven't played any of them, uh, but I have recently quit playing Clash Royale after seven years, so I... Oh, uh, The one thing I will... Yeah, um... One thing I will say is I think this is a completely off topic. I don't know. I, I hate it. To be honest, I, I'm not, I'm not going to speculate about stuff that other developers are doing. It's just, uh, yeah. You just got to pick a number now at this point. <laughs> Go with that. Uh, no, I honestly, I just, I, I'm not, I don't feel good talking about what other developers are doing. <laughs> Sorry. <Fair enough>. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair. That's totally fair. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll have to we'll have to revisit this bet, of course, in like uh, maybe a year to really find out because of how kind of a slow burn it seems like yeah. some of their stuff is. Unless unless they really just change that strategy altogether and are gonna like try and kick one of these out the door rather than keep it in soft launch forever. I mean, I doubt that. The, as you said, the culture has changed that much or anything, but mm. uh, still, still fun to see, right? Like that that they're trying some new strategies uh, for whatever reason they're doing that. Yep. Uh, and I do think that that I I do love the the. Supercell continue to like, man, their quality is is so good, and they do try to like they do try to innovate on like whether it's by simplifying deeper games, um, and I think like they that is they have a focus back to back to what I was saying, right? It's like focus. They have focus on on what they do. Last question on that, then uh, the, the the kind of debate between them just making something that combines all their IP versus doing something that's a new IP. Like any thoughts on that? I love the idea of combining IP. I think that there's there's teams that really have seen success with like leveraging that known IP. It's really hard to get kind of attachment from uh, you know players these days to new IP, like just building kind of like that emotional attachment. So I think it's it's a smart bet to combine combine their their IP because uh, they they already have that that strong attachment and I I love that idea of of the the multiverses coming coming together 
Um, so I think that that's super smart too. Yeah. I also think like, you know, being able to like, I mean, they also like, gen. I guess the only one IP that maybe doesn't perfectly fit all the other games is Heyday and, you know, kind of like convince Heyday players to come and play like some of this stuff, maybe a hard sell. Um, but all the other IP is essentially um, kind of operating in the same genre or audience uh, or in the same audience roughly. So, yeah, combining that IP is you know, another, uh, it's another great way to just kind of de-risk the organic installed uh, uh, perspective. And, but yeah, I, I'm more, I guess the bigger point is just like that whole, the multi-versus <laughs> uh, perspective that Tammy shared, which is also exciting. Plus they get to reuse content and, you know, then, uh, you know, and then showcase like character abilities in very different ways, given, you know, the the core gameplay of different games and such. So it's, it could be like pretty interesting. It's worked pretty well for uh, Fortnite and uh, Mortal Kombat. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I guess we have a similar thing coming out with X Defiant for for Ubisoft, right? Where it's just like let's let's slap all our stuff together in one thing and hope that helps for at least user acquisition. <laughs> but uh, on the topic of unexpected strategies and uh, and IP, EA and doing NFTs suddenly uh, in terms of like working with Nike. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wait, hold on. I I need to like pull up that Kotaku article. <laughs> One second. Uh, I already feel like this has gone downhill. We're, we're referencing a Kotaku article. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a, a, a Kotaku article uh, talking about NFTs. So it's, I'm sure it's going to be super a, highly fair and balanced. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, I, I. Okay, this is maybe like one of the few Kotaku articles. First of all, I don't read Kotaku too much, but general opinion I've heard is like people are not like too, uh, you know, it used to be good, but now it's not good. I don't know where like the industry falls on Kotaku, but this article, I felt <clears throat> they were quite cheeky about it. And it kind of jives with my thoughts on the topic of EA coming out with NFTs in June 2023. Uh, so the headline goes, uh, the headline of the article is, it is June 2023 and EA wants to add NFTs to FIFA and Madden. And the subtitle is, no, you're not reading the date wrong. This is not June 2021. <laughs> so I, I think like that kind of like also captured my sentiment around the whole topic uh, a little bit. It feels like, yeah, a little bit late to, the, late to the whole NFT hype train. And, you know, especially given the market conditions, uh, yeah, I'm not, not too sure about how, you know, uh, what what a launch strategy actually looks like, but <clears throat> but um, to uh, to their credit, um, I think Nike and this like dot swoosh uh, unit, which is Nike's Web three unit, is also the one sports brand or one of these more like consumer brand uh, Web three units that's actually seen some significant success in the NFT space. Um, there, I was checking the numbers on a on a on a on a Dune dashboard, and I believe um, I believe uh, Nike through its NFT uh, activities has generated something like two hundred million in uh, you know in a NFT uh, revenue for themselves, which includes primary sales and uh, the royalty revenue generated. And the next, so Adidas is um, let me check the numbers. Adidas is at like ten million. Uh, 
So, uh, and I think after 200 million, the next brand was uh, this, uh, I don't know how you say it, but like, do, do, is it Dolce do, 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 and Gabbana? Do, how do you say Dolce, the, the, the Dolce, Dolce and Gabbana. Dolce and Gabbana, yeah. And they're at like 20, 25 million. So like, of these, I mean, like, to, to add a, I mean, to add, to add a little context beyond this Kotaku article, I think there's a couple of things worth noting. Um, first, I suspect that, so, you know, Nike acquired a, a company called Artifact a couple you know, a few years ago, which was a, you know, a startup, um, that had had a lot of success, um, doing NFT, like they had, they kind of made their own pretty cool looking like sneaker NFTs. Um, so they've got definitely internally some good, uh, you know, good people who know what they're doing, working on this stuff. I, I will also note that like the two areas where this makes the most sense, like NFTs can make the most sense and have had the most traction are sports and, you know, what I would call that, I mean, really like sneakers and these are Veblen goods, right? Like these are, these are, these are markets that are driven by luxury and perception and scarcity. And, and I will say that while the hardcore, if you look at who, which, which communities have been most hostile to NFTs, it's the Kotaku audience, which is broadly speaking, hardcore gamers. Whereas I think you could argue that the, you know, the overlap between those people and like Madden fans is not huge. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily write all this off because it's a, you know, they're taking a very, I would expect Kotaku to be incredibly hostile to it, but I can see, I can see how there could be something here that makes, makes some sense, you know, as a way to yep. bring, Oh, I have my, my super nice Nike, um, you know, rare Nike NFTs. I can put them on my players in Madden or whatever. And they're using, you know, the sort of the infrastructure of, 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 of blockchain as a way to, do that um, yeah I can, I can see it i guess i am not like yeah, not like, like I jumping mean, out, the, of bed, out to the to the um to the uh, artifact uh point i mean a majority of that uh, 200 million generated by you know the web3 unit of uh, nike is coming from <clears throat> artifacts <laughs> yeah. run by that company yep and yeah right so yeah definitely proven but also they generated all that revenue during the peak of the hype right and i guess that's where my yeah. concern is kind of coming from like it's it's not it's never a bad time yeah it's still not a good time i mean yeah. I'm, I'm put yeah, yeah it's still not a good time yeah, <laughs> yeah. Doing. yeah. yeah i'm not yeah. like excited i'm not excited about it but i just think it's not quite as you know it's not quite as as i'm trying to add a little context to the yeah know, yeah, the yeah totally but but yeah like it's uh i mean just i mean ea ea and nike speak to like huge huge audiences right and and these two games that they're also putting it into also speaks to very huge audiences but the general perception right now about the space is you know everything is kind of fucked so and like no one really wants to like be getting in right now um and yeah, I just, my biggest concern is just timing, you know, like why now, like why did they think now is the best time to do it? But, but yeah, that way I, I didn't, I didn't have like a question for the group on this one because it was a quick update, but I don't know. I, I'm inviting any other thoughts also. <laughs> I think it makes a lot of sense if you, if you take out the word NFT and think of it as digital merchandise and brand. And going with those things are obviously big in sports games, right? Like mm -hmm, Madden and FIFA and stuff. So if you just think of it as like 
if the headline was, you know, EA does a deal with Nike for digital merchandise in their sports games, everyone would be like, well, yeah, obviously. And like, it's only the NFT word that sticks out there, right? Like, so if you yeah, just <clears throat> ignore that. Yeah. And, but the thing is, it's like, yeah, the, the NFT part maybe rubbed the hardcore gamers the wrong, like the wrong way, but mm. obviously there is an audience, as David pointed out, for these things. And it's more like EA going like, well, we are like, Nike already has some pull. This particular audience for the artifact stuff and, and the Web3 stuff does have some pull as well. Maybe it'll work out. Like we could try it, see if it pulls some gamers over. If not, we just don't do it again. Yeah, they also didn't mention the term NFT in the whole announcement or anything, right? Like, and that was definitely very intentional uh, at this point. But um, but yeah, random side note. Uh, thanks, uh, David, for uh, telling me how that company's name is pronounced because... Like, it was the hardest thing for me to remember, you know, like, <laughs> I was thinking to myself, I'm preparing, like, how the hell am I going to say this R-T-F-K-T, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, it's good to know how, how it's said. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were talking about Dolce & Gabbana at first, but uh, yeah. no, yeah, it's, 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 it's Artifact. <laughs> yeah, Artifact, cool. Well, in terms of Web3, we do have, like, another brief sort of interesting topic on Web3, uh, which is... SEC finally taking some some bigger action here. Uh, maybe maybe a little late after, given what happened with FTX, but it seems like maybe also a little responsive to that. Uh, basically, two things happened recently, which is first off, uh, SEC went after Binance, which was a much bigger thing, like in terms of uh, this long you know case uh, document that they're going after them with, like lots of stuff, lots of accusations of a lot of bad activity coming out of uh, Binance. Like it definitely seems a bit similar to FTX in a lot of ways, just a lot of accusations of the founder uh, CZ doing stuff kind of sort of like what, you know, we saw from Sam Bank Friedman, which is just a lot of moving money around, commingling stuff, hiding stuff, running stuff in a way that like is kind of backdooring things. And so there's a lot of accusation there. And of course, CZ's like public response is like, ah, this is all BS. They just, they're just going after me, like targeting me. Uh, and like the SEC is just kind of the enemy and they're just afraid of us and stuff like that. But the the important part of this, I think, for the broader crypto landscape, besides just the potential to take down a big uh, player in the space, is also wrapping in some game tokens to that, right? That there's a lot of tokens being targeted as part of this. And so the, the, the ones that we kind of care about, uh, like the, it's spread across a few different areas, but uh, the, the three that were gaming related were the mana token for Decentraland, the sand token for the sandbox, and uh, interestingly, Axie's governance token, AXS. And then there was also a couple of blockchain tokens like Polygon's Matic. Uh, there was uh, Flow even wrapped in there, Solana's Soul, Algorand's Algo, Cardano's Ada, or Ada. And then, uh, and then even like Filecoin and Internet Computers token. So like they kind of went a bit broad. And the suspicious part that people are kind of calling out is it was the exact same list as was approved for Hong Kong trading. Uh, so I don't know, maybe conspiracy theory out there that was approved for what? Uh, uh, I believe approved for trading or, or something along those lines ah, in Hong okay. Kong. Uh, at least that's mm-hmm. the comparison that's been brought up. Um, there, you know, there may be a little more depth to that. There may be not. It might just be people looking for some kind of connection. Uh, but it definitely is a little uh, a little bit strange if it's like the exact same list uh, being mm. provided. I mean, and, <laughs> go ahead. It, the thing is, the tokens you just mentioned, they all very obviously to me anyway, they fail the Howie test, right? Like fail, either, either fail or pass. I forget like which is, which is which exactly, right? But like, the, so the Howie test for is something a security is, um, do people invest money 
in uh, a common enterprise with the expectation of profits and do the profits come from the efforts of others, right? Those are the four things. And if you hit those or hit any of those, actually, then you're, um, <laughs> then, then, then you're a security and like taking AXS, right? The, you know, if you, I don't know if they've checked, they've updated what AXS, what AXS is supposed to do, but the, the premise was you buy AS, AXS and what you do, what, and as a, as a holder of AXS, like the way their, the Axie economy uh, works, or at least worked, was the, the profits are flowing to the holders of AXS. Sure, it is an unregistered, it's an unregistered security. So I don't think you need to, you don't think you need to be sort of that conspiratorial about it. Um, it's just, they are. <laughs> and so. Yeah, and I think those, the three gaming tokens are, are clearly that right. Whereas like the other two are more just about land like being the kind of investment vehicle. The, the, I think the thing that is a little more curious is uh, the, the the tokens that were meant for blockchain stuff or infrastructure stuff like Filecoin and Internet Computer, which, I mean, maybe they were pitched as investment vehicles, but I don't, I don't think a lot of people really look at, say, something like Matic as an investment vehicle so much as it is like the fuel of the system. Because if, you, if you're looking at Matic as an investment vehicle, then you start to look at Ethereum as one where it's like, this is something to pay for gas and transactions and validation and uh, I mean, to be fair, just about everything passes the Howey test. Uh, it, it's more just like how much you want to consider that making it an actual security versus just passing that test because that test is very vague, right? And so I, I, I question not necessarily. It's not. The it's, it's, ones, not it, it, it's it's not vague. Like here, here's literally this is it. Like 1946 SEC versus W J Howey Co. An investment contract for the purposes of the Securities Act means a contract, transaction, or scheme whereby a person invests his money in a common enterprise and is led to expect profits solely from the efforts of the promoter or third party, it being immaterial whether the shares in the enterprise are evidenced by, I won't give you the full thing, but the <laughs> investors provide the capital and share in the earnings and profits, the promoters manage, control, and operate the enterprise. It follows that the arrangements whereby the investor's interests are made manifest involve... The test is whether the scheme involves investment of money in a common enterprise with profits to come solely from the, the efforts of others. If that test be satisfied, it is immaterial whether the enterprise is speculative or non-speculative or whether there's a sale of property with or without intrinsic value. And and so, yeah, I would I would say that like, yeah, that I, that is pretty broad, though. Like I, it is specific and broad at the same time in, in the sense that like you know, making profits from the efforts of others, I think pretty much describes business in general, right? Like I, I get that in combination, a lot of that stuff can be a little more specific, but uh, I mean, that's, again, that's some of that's also an argument for the lawyers and SEC and stuff like that. And I'm not, I'm not a lawyer, but I just, I, the, the, the breadth of the different types of tokens and the different types of use cases and stuff like that, that's where it makes me a little skeptical. But I do think that uh, the, the gaming tokens, as you pointed out, yeah, they were, they were rightfully pitched a lot more leaning towards the investment side and maybe some of these uh these you know blockchain tokens in their initial pitches were like hey own a part of this infrastructure as opposed to like this is the fuel of the system uh but i i just wonder if like there's a reason why these were selected not because of their specific uses but because they were grouped in for another reason like maybe not the hong kong thing but maybe there's a reason these were just easily lumped in because obviously these ones also match a lot of other ones that aren't listed. And it's like, is this just the first opening or is this just something that got pulled into the Binance case and isn't really necessarily super material to how the SEC moves forward after Binance, right? And I think that's what people are kind of concerned about is like, is this the first opening shot from SEC? Or is this like, 
this is just part of the Binance thing they're just dealing with. And like, there may be a little fallout from it, but it doesn't mean the end of the, uh, you know, crypto in general, because SEC goes after everything. And just to add a little color, there was another uh, case side of this that is much less uh, surprising or harsh around Coinbase as well, which is them basically saying, hey, Coinbase, you're supposed to be a registered security because of what you're doing is basically like, you know, along these, these lines and uh, you should have registered. And then, of course, Coinbase's return is like, well, we, we asked you and you said it was fine. And like you were OK with this and we, we pushed and we tried to. And you were just like, nah. And therefore, that's why we didn't. Um, obviously, like, you know, arguments for both sides. But I felt it was kind of interesting that sort of like uh, Coinbase's response as they've been a lot more vocal lately in general about the SEC. And I don't know, maybe they kind of invited it by that. They also had gotten a letter uh, that they were kind of, you know, potentially going to be sued earlier on. So there was some warning there. Uh, but I'm kind of curious as well, like if, if you have some take on the Coinbase side of things and if it even has any bearing on the other stuff. I'll take that as a no. So, uh, it definitely, uh, definitely seems like separate <laughs> cases just timed, uh, you know, back to back. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I guess I don't have like too much to say on the Coinbase stuff, but um, on the on the game tokens kind of getting classified as securities, I mean... That's that's huge news, right? So does that? I mean, that kind of precedent basically means any 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 Web three game right now that is thinking about a token or has planned their roadmap with the token in it or has given out tokens to investors. Uh, I mean, does everyone need to backtrack right now? They need to like start checking, <laughs> you know, thinking about it again. Like, what are the investors going to do and such? Um, is there is there a way like? Maybe it's too early to say, but I mean, I mean, I guess what now all these tokens need to like register as securities or like what happens? But I mean, <clears throat> seeing seeing AXS, um, I guess two things kind of shocked me. One is, yeah, seeing these three tokens uh, in that list. Uh, and the other thing that shocked me was, um, yeah, Matic, uh, which is Polygon's token and Solana's token are there, but Ethereum and Bitcoin were not in that list. Um, maybe those are not, I don't know if they're, I guess they are traded on Binance also, but, um, but yeah, they didn't make it to the list and I didn't really see, I don't understand why that was the case. So, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, I don't know, Devin, what, what do you think? Like, I mean, isn't, this is like huge for the Web3 gaming space, right? Like <laughs> everything kind of changes. Yeah, and, and that's I think that's the, the broader topic here is is this is like we're already struggling in the Web3 space when it comes to investment money now. I think this just pretty much slams the brakes on it, right? Like if you're if you were concerned at all about SEC enforcement of tokens and stuff like that, you're gonna be looking at this and be like, maybe I should invest in AI or something else for the time being, you know, like and, and just kind of wait it out, right? I mean, they've been calling for regulation for a while, like like Coinbase is, of all the, the companies, I feel like actually I, I would lean towards Coinbase has been overly trying to play ball for a while from, mm -hmm. from my perception. Uh, and so I do think it's likely that, that the, you know, there could have been miscommunication, but that they were probably trying to do things by the book. Whereas Binance, I think it, it seems to have clearly in a lot of ways dodged things and made some suspicious moves. And we, we really don't need another FTX kind of situation. So maybe this is actually for the best for, for the industry to kind of continue to clean it up. That's the SEC's job, right? Is to, to clean up bad actors to an extent to to keep the space a little more fair. Don't always do the best job of it. It's a mixed bag. But and this is, of course, a US centric move, right? This is not necessarily going to apply everywhere else. 
and this is this is mostly going to hit like Binance.us, although they're accusing of like commingling between uh, other enterprises in this as well. Um, but like, I do think this is like maybe good long term for crypto in terms of like cleaning stuff up, adding some regulation, adding some clarity, but bad short term in terms of like pausing investments, getting people to be a little more skeptical and avoiding this because we've also got Yuga Labs was kind of being sniffed around uh, mm. because, of course, they're one of the big money makers. Uh, in the space. And so it's like, d- does that come next, right? We had these two back to back is next week, the case against Yuga Labs. And the week after that, maybe against Artifact at that point, like, we, we don't really know like where this is going from here. And that's, that's the biggest problem is yeah. the SEC kind of leaves us guessing. Uh, and, and like that, the fact it that we're ha- having to kind of guess right now. Yeah, it kind of feels like one, it kind of feels like a, a IDFA moment for the Web3 space or maybe like at a scale like that, maybe five. Like, because I mean, my biggest question is what the hell happens to all the developers with the tokens that who are planning tokens or who have tokens, you know, at this point, like just the precedent that is now set with this. When, when, and that's the thing is like they didn't say they're going after these tokens is the other thing though like they, yeah. they they mentioned it you know in as part of this but they're going after binance not going after the tokens and that's what i wonder is like are they going to go after like the tokens those enterprises is like you know is is polygon as a company gonna have to worry about this you know like that kind of stuff i think is more of the open question or is this just like hey we're we're listing this as reasons why binance was doing wrong things yeah yeah, but yeah, I guess I guess we'll just need to like kind of keep uh, keep track of it and see how it evolves. Um, damn, I mean, this, yeah, this, this, yeah. this could be a watershed <laughs> moment for Web three, yeah. either way, yeah. right? Like, this could be a good yeah. or bad uh, moment that, that that kind of turns things. But yeah. definitely something to keep an eye on. I think uh, in terms of at least, obviously, like that's a you know kind of an area I spend a lot of time in. So I'm de- I'm definitely. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a good moment. I think it's hard to spin it as I, a good yeah. moment. <laughs> no, another one of my looking for the silver linings kind of things, right? Like I, I, I want to stay bullish on the space, the the we're building period and everything like that, and and yeah, maybe a little a little bit biased on looking for it, a positive. It's, it's all digital collectibles and digital merchandise, right. guys. No, lots don't of worry rebranding. About the Howie test, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like lots of rebranding of how Web three gets pitched, right? Because I mm. think uh, you know, even David's kind of pointing that out, like that 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 was part of the problem is if you're pitching these as investments, like the way AXS was pitched as basically being shareholder value of the the Axie Treasury, like obviously a mistake to do that. I think that's. Yeah. That's clear. And I, and I hope it sends that signal to the space. Like, that's the part I think is good is like to be like, hey, that's not a great idea. Let's probably not do that. Uh, and now you have some clarity on that. Uh, it's just where we go from here, I think will be the big open question. Yep, but yep. Uh, but I think we did end up uh, with without enough time to necessarily get to every topic here because there's so much interesting stuff happening despite people thinking maybe that sometimes things slow down in the space. They never really truly do. But we definitely also want to make sure we get your guys' feedback here in the future as well. Like we've been getting some, some great uh, emails uh, to the mailbag at podcast at novic.co. So make sure to keep sending those in and we'll definitely try and get those uh, going here on the air when we have the uh, the sort of relevant audience or research to, to be able to answer those thoroughly as we did last time with the, uh, the big Zelda question. So definitely keep sending those in. I want to thank, of course, all the panelists for taking their time out today. I think uh, we proved that there's a lot of meat on these topics and, and a lot of different thoughts uh, to, to have on the different lot, thought of angles, especially with uh, David uh, taking a bit of the, the contrarian approach today, which appreciate to, to keep things interesting. Uh, but definitely, definitely great uh, to have you guys here as usual. And of course, thank you listener for tuning in. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. And of course, we look forward to seeing you all next week and uh, have a good weekend in the meantime. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.